It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, as we rapidly run through 1998 here on Reliving the War the podcast where we do exactly what it says in the title and relive the Monday Night Wars between WWF and WCW exclusively on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by my tag team partner, Simon Tackler. Simon, we're headed towards the tail end of 1998. It's a very good year for the WWF and we got ourselves a little bonus pay-per-view. The first UK exclusive pay-per-view that we've seen since one night only in uh, September 97 and we didn't quite know what to expect of this one because I don't know about you, but I've never seen this pay-per-view before. What about yourself? See, I remember seeing this because my video store, the legendary Video Easy in Fairfield, um, mm. stocked not only the mainline pay-per-views of the WWE, but we would get the home video specials. So, you know, the best of 94 and boom, crash, body slams and all those <laughs> cheesy ones, as well as the UK pay-per-views for some reason. So I remember seeing this. I don't remember knowing anything that happened, um, but I thought, you know, let's take a detour. Let's even the odds because WCW have been on a bad run. WWE has been on a great run. Surely a crappy UK pay-per-view will <laughs> even things up here. Yeah, and and here's the thing. So we are right on the heels of um, Survivor Series. Rock Bottom is up next. I think there's still a fair while to go. The Rock is the brand new champion. The Corporation is just sort of finding its feet. And Capital Carnage is... Well, it's very different, let's just say, to the last time that they were in the... Um, in, in the UK. Because that whole time was, you know, really depended, I guess... Between the DX versus um, HB versus the the Heart Foundation slash British Bulldog sort of rivalry. Yeah. So last year, one night only moved stories forward and even just taken on its own. I'm just having a look at the card again to remember. I remember we enjoyed it. The top of the card on that show, put it up against anything. Vader versus Owen Hart, Brett versus Taker, HBK versus Bulldog. Like what a show. Capital Carnage mm. isn't that kind of show, but no. it's still, it's pretty fun. Because one night only, like I was thinking about it during the week, if we're talking about the UK exclusive pay-per-views, one night only is right at the top with SummerSlam 92 and Clash at the Castle as like the best UK pay-per-views. Yep. The rest yep. are all kind of in their own in their own sort of genre. Little so universe we'll, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see how they all go because Capital Carnage, I think is the first of that type of UK show. 
Very much so. You know, the ones that we saw Edge taking on Brock Lesnar at like Insurrection 02 and that kind of thing. But let's get let's get straight into Capital Carnage because it was a UK only pay-per-view, never shown outside of the UK except on home video. Um, because later you'd remember that um the insurrection and like rebellion would be shown on main events. So it was just the weird only in the UK and Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> but um it's pretty cool because London, it's at the London Arena and it is sold out. And it's very cool to see the kind of Raw is War setup, but like a miniaturized version of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was a scaled down Raw kind of setup. And my God, you know, you're in the UK because there's a lot of signs during the Attitude Era, but in the UK, double the amount in <laughs> half the size of the arena. I don't know how every single person had a piece of paper in their hand. It was cool. And you mentioned off the top, Simon, this is a very different show to, uh, you know, this is the sort of one that set the blueprint for the foreign pay-per-view kind of thing, because we start off with Gangrel versus Al Snow. And the UK fans are just into the head gimmick as the US, which is mentioned by Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, and, and JR is still yet to say the word vampire, <laughs> continually calling the brood a cult-like gothic group. But, um, this is also the first instant where that stupid trumpet from like like the UK um, soccer trumpet that you normally hear in like Premier League games is in the crowd and whistles too, where you really sort of get the, yep, we're in the UK. <laughs> there are throughout the whole show, but yeah, they set the tone early. There are trumpets, air horns and whistles nonstop. But you know what? It gives it a different vibe. You know you're somewhere else. Uh, that combined with the soccer chance, I had no idea what any of them were, but it just <laughs> felt fun. Like I was trying to decipher. I even turned on captions. The WWE Network <laughs> caption guy doesn't know what they're saying. Very much so. So this match is, is fairly stock standard. It gets the crowd going and you forget to, this is one of the good things that Vince Russo did back in that era, that everyone had a story, everyone had a character, which is why when you do see one of these matches, it sort of is entertaining, at least. It's very short, but it is entertaining. Edge and Christian are out as well at ringside. The finish is basically Christian distracting the ref as Gangrel is taken out by head, but Edge does a missile dropkick, gets the win. Everyone goes home happy, and it's a stock standard match. Gets the crowd up and running, and that's about it, really. Yeah, two guys with gimmicks that the crowd enjoys seeing. Their wrestling in the ring is fine, and it's only five minutes. And i got to say... After watching uh, Stevie Ray and Conan tear it up at World <laughs> War Three, if you go like you know, um, you're only as card, good as yeah. your weakest link. The weakest yeah. link of the WWE is miles ahead of the WCW in-ring product. Not saying <laughs> Overness, no one could touch Conan in '98, but in the ring, like Gangrel and El Snow, this is a fine match. Their wrestling is good. And the interference works well, too. It's not like yeah. crappy WCW interference where someone just runs out and it's a big schmoz, like a blatant chair shot or something like that. So it's actually really well done. Uh, next up is Mankind in the boiler room. He's doing one of another one of his great promos. Like, mm. I forgot how good Mick Foley was as with Mankind and all his soliloquies because he generally remember... His, his career seems to be sort of whitewashed a little bit by people remembering that fun run that he had as commissioner in the 2000s. That sort of set the blueprint. Yeah, the, I think people forget this, which is his real peak in terms of being at the top of the card and, you know, becoming champion very soon. But this is kind of a mix of that and the mix of the old mankind. 
You know, yep. you, you got this amazing middle ground. This promo is so bloody good. I, I didn't remember it. Anyone should try and find this on YouTube. He mixes in getting over the boiler room. He gets over all of the opponents in the fatal four-way main event. He talks about friendship and ties in his history with Austin and every member of the fatal four-way and then ties in British history. It is so damn good. And mankind's done this for the past few months. Yeah. This is amazing. What he's doing. Absolutely stellar stuff. Yeah. He weaves in like the tower of London references, all of this sort of stuff. It's just, you, we're not doing it justice. You seriously have to check it out. Um, next up LOD 2000, which is just animal and draws taking on the headbangers. Now, immediately it starts off with JR bringing up, Hawks attempted suicide on Raw as we see footage of uh, of Raw. And this is one of those ones where you watch and be like, well, it was a different era. Yeah, look, we, we praise WWE a lot <laughs> and we have for a lot of these 98 episodes. Even I can't put a positive spin no. on this no. storyline. One of the worst and dumbest things ever. Seeing Droz was bad enough in this match, but then knowing that it's because they're in the midst of this storyline with Hawk. Terrible stuff. I will say, yeah. though, both teams still get a good ovation. They do. They really, really do. Well, at least one half of LAD 2000 gets a really big <laughs> yeah. ovation. We mentioned constantly how, at least the last time when the headbangers were there, when we saw them win the WWF Tag Team Champs, I think I mentioned to you, Simon, how like JR always mentions that the, the headbangers were former WWF tag champs. And in my entire childhood, I can't remember when that happened. This is one of those instances where they're always remembered as the former WWF champs. Interesting to see that there is a big We Want Hawk chant by the crowd. So even the UK isn't buying what Droz is selling. Droz gets absolutely booed almost every time, every time that he gets in the ring or does anything, even the, the fact that LED 2000 are faces. And it's 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 a it's a serviceable match, but it just people aren't buying draws. No, they're not. Every time he tags in, it's we want Hawk. Every time Animal's in there, there's a cheer. I don't know if it was even on purpose, but look, it's only kept to three minutes. So for as bad as the whole storyline was, there's nothing we can really say. It's over in three minutes. Yeah. Animal gets a win with the power slam, goes for the pin, but draws, rolls him out of the ring, and then gets rolled up by the headbangers. LED 2000 then just explodes at the end of it, and Animal leaves on his own to huge cheers as we get a little Raw recap. And the things that I like about these recaps are they don't just take chunks of Raw like WCW does with Nitro and put it on the show, but they actually make the little packages where we see Stone Cold Steve Austin attacking The Undertaker. Then Austin and Kane sticking Paul Bearer into the sewer. And i got to say, I don't remember any of this happening ever at all. Oh, this is a wild time. So this mini feud with Undertaker and Austin, they would feud so often. But this is when, I'm pretty sure it's here, where the mm -hmm. Undertaker and Paul Bearer attempt to embalm Austin while he's alive. <laughs> and then, yeah, him and Kane stuff Paul Bearer down the... Uh, the sewer like a ninja hole, turtle yeah. <laughs> and it is just crazy there's so much silly stuff with the undertaker that they don't even use in packages anymore yeah it's crazy um we then cut to michael cole chatting to the undertaker and taker asks cole if he's a if he's a religious man and cole's like oh i am sir <laughs> then he says to pray for the soul of stone cold steve austin he's with paul bearer here as well and taker drops 
the capital carnage name a lot. And all it reminded me, the minute he name dropped, like, you know, capital carnage, all I could think of was the time at WrestleMania 33 when he told uh, Roman Reigns, at, at WrestleMania, the ultimate thrill ride will be your last ride. <laughs> Undertaker is a man who likes good branding. <laughs> this was funny too. Not only did he say Capital Carnage, he even turns to Paul and he Paul, goes, yeah. I like the sound of that, Paul. <laughs> it was weird. Undertaker is, yeah, he loves the marketing department. Obviously, who else puts together all this spooky <laughs> stuff for him? You know, he's got Correct. close ties there. I, I will say that the promo was good because he's gone past needing Paul Bearer to speak for him. He cuts the promo himself. He also doesn't rely on saying rest in peace. He yep. doesn't even say it. it. And he's got that cool angle where Michael, where it, like, it just looks like he's dwarving um, Michael Cole, which is very cool. It's just all done superbly. Next up, it is Val Venus versus Goldust. And the first note that I've written is, let's all take a minute to appreciate how good Val Venus's Titan Tron is. <laughs> because, you know, it's got like drill bits, oil geezers, just all, all uh, like just, just spewing oil into the air. Into buns. It's, it's just so good. Now, the Val Venus Terry Runnell stuff, like we talked before about the Hawk and Animal storyline. So let's just say that. Basically, what happens is Val Venus, as we know, had an affair with Terry Runnels in the preacher's the preacher's wife sort of storyline to pay off Goldust. Um, now Terry Runnels claims that she's pregnant. Val Venus says that it's not his because he's got a vasectomy. So Terry's the heel, I guess, or is Val the heel because Goldust is a face? It's just so bizarre and the most poor taste of storylines you will ever see. Well, it's an interesting storyline because <laughs> she's lying to him because he's had a vasectomy. It can't be his. So yeah. she's cheated on him at some point if we're to believe she is pregnant. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Isn't there a bit where she has a miscarriage on Raw? There is but then it's exposed like that, yeah. that she was lying anyway. Anyway, yeah, we, was... yeah. we see a Raw recap and we see Terry turn on Goldust, or not turn on him, she tries taking him back, he won't take her, so mm -hmm. she kicks Goldust in the nuts, and Jacqueline also low-blows Mark Mero. Mm -hmm. So we see the formation of the pretty mean sisters, PMS, Terry and Jackie, <laughs> but the thing is, because it'll tie into the, the Mark Mero match later on, because this was a UK-only pay-per-view, and the internet wasn't really a big thing yet, with spoilers, WWE were, were like, oh, well, we can't move the story along in the UK because it's only for the UK. So they were like, who cares? Let's pretend like none of that has really happened yet. Yeah, yeah. Because they do so much verbal gymnastics in the next the match later with Mero and Jackie to sort of justify why they would still be teaming even though yeah. they've broken up on Raw in this video. So this is a really confusing match. This match it's, didn't need yeah. to be on the card anymore, but I think because it was already planned, they were like, ah, oh, well, let's still do it. So there's a couple of hilarious lines there because Terry Runnels in one of the um in one of the video recaps, she's wearing very little and Jerry L and um JR says, Terry Runnels, she's definitely not dressed for jogging. But um <laughs> but all I gotta say is um 98 Goldust, hell of a wrestler, hell of a worker here. Goldust is at the peak of his powers. I think this is where he sort of gets his life together a little bit and sort of gets in shape and 
this is the the builder. Actually, no, he then, he then goes off the rails and becomes seven and all that sort of stuff in in uh, WCW. So just don't worry about what I just said there. <laughs> One but, of the many the, peaks and valleys of the career yeah. of Dustin Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. So the the premise of this is who's Terry Reynolds' baby daddy? Um, then there's a a weird little thing where they mention that Vince uh did a little lecture at Oxford, which is said, oh, we'll bring that up a little bit later on. But it's a uh, yeah, it's a it's a strange um match here because I've got here uh, King. There's another line from Jerry the King Lawler saying King tricked a woman into marrying him by saying she was pregnant. Then there's a debate on what a Jezebel is. And then a huge pop for the nut shot on Val Venus. So clearly Goldust is the face here in the UK. Goldust is also using Shattered Dreams as his finisher, which of course will result as a DQ. But it's a really cool move where um, Val Venus uses uses the ref as a shield. So uh, very, very cool, cool finish here. Very creative. Yeah, I've got pretty much the same notes. That line from King was fantastic. Where he says, I once tricked a girl into marrying me by telling her she was pregnant. And JR's what is like none I've ever heard. He's going, what? (laughs) So good. And then, yeah, uh, JR calls Terry and Jezebel a million times. As was the style at the time. (laughs) As was was the style. Um, Yeah, quick match, five minutes. But when Goldust hits the Shattered Dreams post-match because Val wins with like a quick roll-up, the crowd goes nuts. They loved Shattered Dream so much. Didn't matter that the match was only five minutes. Yeah. And you're noticing a little theme here. These matches are pretty quick and quick and smart. So, like, yeah. there's barely enough time to hate it. And so, by default, just like, well, that wasn't too bad. That's so it all gets we want yeah. from the yeah. undercard. That's all they need to do in WCW. Why is Bobby Duncan wrestling for half an hour? Give him two minutes. Yeah, we don't need to see Alex Wright versus Glacier for a for a seventeen minute classic here. <laughs> um, next up, Vince McMahon. It's highlights of Vince McMahon's chat to the people at Oxford in some weird little library. The thing that I found, and this is very amusing, every time you see Vince with like you know normal people, you forget that he's actually quite a showman, isn't he? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love this video because yeah, Vince just goes into like I'm going to steal the show. So yeah. the woman introducing him tries doing a bit of shtick and she's like the evil owner of the WWF. And then he tops it by, you know, telling him like, come on, you can do better than that. And, you know, getting him to <laughs> cheer loud. And I would love to see that speech in full. Um, what I like about it too, WWE was so good at doing this. You know, if someone crossed over to the mainstream or did a good bit of press, they would show it on pay-per-view or TV. WCW never did. We've seen all these WCW shows. We've never seen any crossover. We've only seen, you know, Hulk Hogan on Jay Leno, but that's because Jay Leno was about to wrestle. Yeah. If anything, that was, that was to promote the tonight show rather than anything that WCW did, which (laughs) is absolutely crazy. And all at the, all at the pay-per-view that never got a house because it was just like, ah, like bikes, let's just put a, put a ring up and put a shop in front of the people that are already at Sturgis. But um, anyway, next up is Vince, Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon and the Stooges in a little talking segment. There's a promo. Pat Patterson is announced. Uh, announces that The Rock will not be defending his title against Triple H, which I thought was interesting because it already puts the seeds for Rock versus Triple H like two years before it's actually a main event program, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, Triple H will take on Jeff Jarrett and The Rock will defend his title against X-Pac, which actually gets a really big, a big chant of, you know, approval there. Yeah. 
Um, another Two one good too. matches Shane... that they've set up. Like any oh, yeah. of those combinations, I would have been fine with. Yeah, which and I'll get into actually when I get to those matches. But um, this also is a, a hell of a segment because Vinny Jones is one of the the special celebrity guests here in the paper. And Shane McMahon talks about Vinny Jones being George Michael's secret boyfriend. And all I've written here is like, what the hell is going on? And I know there's a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels joke, which actually did get me a bit of a laugh. But um, I'm assuming this is a very topical promo for 1998 by Vince McMahon as well, because he says, Vince says, the UK will be governed by a man of Pakistani origin one day. Origin? Which... No, no. He says extraction, which is an extraction. even weirder turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah. So that part in itself, it's a weird promo. It is just strange. The, the racial overtones here are just bizarre. Just absolutely bizarre. But what's even more hilarious, at least now, is, and I know that the current Prime Minister is Indian, uh, well, of Indian descent, like, but who would have thought that watching a pay-per-view in 1998 would be very similar to, like Vince again would predict, that Rishi Sunak, a man of Indian descent, would become Prime Minister of the country. Except <laughs> Vince it with such disdain, like, ugh. I'd imagine there are probably a lot of British people who feel the same anyway. Um, oh, yeah, you're not wrong. Terrible people. But I will say, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, is Vince kind of close there? Does that count as half the point? <laughs> yeah. It's the same, like the, the country's border. Like... It's the same area. I'm not, not in a, you know, in a racially um, discriminatory way. No. But when but we look, say Vince... when we say yeah when we say North America, we include Canada in that. Absolutely, exactly. Mm. If you know, if Vince McMahon was doing an Australian pay per view and he said one day your prime minister will be Iraqi and he was Lebanese like me, yeah. I'd be like, eh, it's close yeah, enough. That's okay, kind of, that's kind of right. look, anyway, it's a general. It's a general. What area. makes it really weird? Remember, Vince McMahon was saying that for heel heat. Yep. Because he was saying. You'll all hate if your prime minister is Pakistani. Yeah. And they all reacted in the way that would affirm that. Mm-hmm. So who's the real heel? Vince McMahon or those sons of bitches? <laughs> yeah, you know that's what I mean? True, actually, they, yeah. they bit. They bit on you'll hate your Pakistani prime minister. I don't yeah. know. The sold out London arena. You're the you're the real heels here, especially yeah. since you boo the next competitor. Can, can which we is just tight- I just got to talk about this promo though. Oh yeah. So there is no better 1998 wrestling promo in England than the one <laughs> Shane McMahon did because he ties in Vinnie Jones and George Michael. And I mm. thought that was amazing. I don't remember this promo. I don't remember Vinnie Jones ever being in WWE, but yeah, when he says that George Michael was doing the interview on the BBC, I'm assuming that was his interview with, um, on what's it called Parkinson or whatever, where he yeah. came out as gay after the whole Beverly Hills thing. So what a topical promo to tie mm. in Vinnie Jones, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and George Michael. That is A plus because in pro wrestling, we've always noted that the pop culture is always a few years behind. Shane McMahon was had his finger on the pulse of 1998. Yeah, because if this was Vince doing the promo, he'd be making lock, stock, and uh, two smoking barrel jokes when Snatch is released in 2000. (laughs) (laughs) And the line that you're referring to where he says, and I want to know which one of you's barrel was locked, which one was stocked, and which one 
was smoking. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm guessing this was a Vince Russo promo, but it was. I'm good. also. I'm also guessing, since you've got no recollection of this promo, that perhaps it was left off the VHS release. <laughs> probably. Honestly, probably was. <laughs> For good reason. Someone was like, nope, whole thing's gone. When they transferred it to the network, someone's sort of like, did you, how much of that uh, that show did you put on there? Oh, no, I censored uh, Jacqueline. Okay, good. Anything else? No, I don't mm, think we no. uh, we need to do anything else. <laughs> uh, next up, it is Tiger, Tiger Ali Singh versus Edge. And I don't know about you, but when they said this match is going has a 20-minute time limit, my heart sank. I was like, <laughs> surely they're not going to go 20 minutes. But uh, thankfully, um, that didn't happen. It's a real awkward promo. Uh, and the, the racial anecdotes here about the British colonizing, it's really uncomfortable to sort of watch. <laughs> you want to talk about uncomfortable? My favorite thing about this match was Tiger Ali Singh making his entrance. I had to rewind it because I couldn't believe my ears. So Tiger Ali Singh walking out with the Indian flag. Mm-hmm. Mike, uh, what's his name? Tony Chimmel on the announce says, from the continent of Asia. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> narrow it down. That, that, that's a very broad <laughs> stroke there. <laughs> yeah. It's all like, oh, no. Oh, where's he from? He's coming out with a flag. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Probably that part of Asia. Uh, yeah, the one with the biggest population in Asia, maybe. Just take a stab, Tony. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, don't, because if you get no, it wrong, no. it's even... <laughs> he probably was like, you know what, I'm just going to play this one safe. <laughs> um, Edge enters through the crowd, and all I've written down here is the UK seems to love nut shots. Like, <laughs> they go off. Anytime someone gets hit, hit in the balls, they just lose their mind. And there are a lot of nut shots on this show. Not as many as World War Three. That was all. Of, that was three rings, ten nut shots. You know, but um, tell you what, they knew no one's here to see Tiger Ali Singh. This oh. is under three minutes. This match was so short. Tiger Ali gets the win. Uh, Edge gets his heat back at the end, and that's all she wrote. Basically, Tiger Ali Singh. I forgot that they were trying to make him a thing back then. The the Jinder Mahal of uh, the Attitude Era. What's interesting? Remember, we saw him debut at One Night Only. So there's mm. something about these British pay per views. They really thought he could get some sort of heat in the UK. Do you reckon he's? This is like the earliest version of like Mans- Mansoor, who <laughs> is always at the Saudi pay per views. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and yeah. also, just just for clarification, I looked it up. So, fifth of December '98, so the night before the show, George Michael was on. Yeah, Parkinson wow. doing the uh, the big big come out yeah. interview. So that is fantastic timing by Shane McMahon. That's brilliant work there. Yeah, great promo. Shane's always had his finger on the pulse though, which is uh, which is quite interesting there. Like, because remember, he was the one, he allegedly was like. Uh, wanted to put the ECW TV show. He's just like, put that on the internet. People like that. Like, the internet? Streaming will never take off, you idiot. (laughs) Yeah, and he (laughs) supposedly said they should buy the UFC back in the day. Mm. Shut up, Shane. What would you know? No one wants to watch (laughs) real fighting. (laughs) (laughs) We've already... That's brutality. (laughs) There's women hitting women. (laughs) Um, King and JR then throw to Michael Cole. Vinny Jones comes out for... I've just written here reasons because <laughs> um, well let's face it, actually no he was a big star in this era but uh 
Vince McMahon, uh, not Vince McMahon, sorry, Vinny Jones says he's going to knock out Vince McMahon. And the crowd loves Vinny as, you know, it, they love this Vince. They're eating out of his hand at the moment. But Michael Cole, I've written here, sounds like a non-playable character in an RPG. Like, <laughs> he's so stilted and wooden, giving like, you know, like, and Vinny, would, what would you do if Vince, Vince McMahon went and punched you? <laughs> no, Michael Cole, I want to give him credit here because they sent him out here and they were like, all right, you got one job. Keep him on track. Ask him the simplest questions where he can only give one answer. You know, mm. Vinny Jones, would you like to eat spaghetti for dinner? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would like to eat spaghetti for dinner. That was the promo. My mm. favorite bit at the end, Vinny Jones obviously doesn't deliver the right finishing line so michael yeah. cole at that point gives up and literally whispers in his ear before he says yeah like oh what are you gonna do when you're at ringside Vinny jones i'm guessing still didn't deliver the line but they just ended it anyway when michael cole is like so what's it gonna be like tonight and he and Vinny jones just goes it's gonna be emotional and that was it that was his finishing <laughs> line i'll tell you what though the crowd got emotional they loved oh. it they certainly did. It's and then crazy that he, he power walks to the back. It almost felt like he was embarrassed. Yeah, like he, yeah. he was, didn't know what to do. He's like, oh, I better just get to the back. In his big, weird black raincoat thingy. <laughs> Massive coat. Looked like an American badass. <laughs> yeah, he did, didn't he? And wearing, wearing JBL's pants. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, next up, it is that. Mark Merrow and Jacqueline versus Christian and Sable. Uh, now, we'll quickly go through the raw recap here because Blue Meanie, that's right, the Blue Meanie, cost Mark Merrow a match against Dwayne Gill. And Merrow said that if he couldn't beat uh, Dwayne Gill, that he would leave the WWF. Well, guess what? He's here. Um, Mark Merrow and Jackie do not get along. This is such an odd match. As you mentioned, the, the amount of, like, gymnastics that they use to try and justify why this match is happening like obviously they signed a contract and this is their previous commitment and then that's it they're done which yeah. is actually kind of creative yeah they're like oh well mark Mero said he'd quit but you know he already signed for this match oh jackie and Mero hate each other oh but you know it was already planned can't find another partner i do love the continuity of sable teaming with another member of the brute at SummerSlam, yeah. she teamed with edge here she's teaming with Christian. I wish Sable joined the brood. That would have been <laughs> fantastic. It is such an odd combo, though, Christian and Sable. Um, it's Miro's last match, and Sable is literally the most over person in this entire match. Uh, Miro and Christian, they're, they're basically bit players here because the whole thing is driven by Sable and her feud with Jackie. There's a Sable bomb on Mark Miro, and he just walks away. Sable then gets a TKO on Jackie, gets the win, and post-match we see the infamous uh, Jackie slip as her top comes down. When you see her run out in that top that's basically a WWF logo made out of napkins, you got to know that this was just like, yep, yep, and that's the, that's the ending spot. Yeah, and I love, okay, so for people who don't know what happened, so post-match, Jackie starts like arguing with the ref. She gets on his shoulders... While she's on his shoulders, Sable rips her shirt off. It's not mm. a slip. <laughs> this is not a slip. Oh, it's yeah. A yeah. Ripping of the shirt. And on the network, it is censored. I will have you should know that on the uh, home video version that I watched as a kid, it was uncensored. 
Well, there you go. So it was uncensored know, on the broadcast too. Yeah. Yeah. If there was a reason to rent this crappy UK pay per view, <laughs> that's why everyone you know rented that in 1998. Yeah, Capital Carnage is not famous for any other match <laughs> on this card. I can tell you that right now. Put not it this way: all. we all put it this way. We all knew this is the pay per view where you can see Jacqueline exposed. Yet I never knew that Vinnie Jones was even in the WWF <laughs> at all. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, uh, we then get a little Kane backstage shot, which obviously because he doesn't talk doesn't really lead to much. Next up, it is Shamrock versus Steve Blackman. Uh, and Steve Blackman, uh, it's weird because he just sort of reappears. This is clearly where he's feuding with Shamrock. But Bossman is out with Ken Shamrock and JR is just indignant over why he's with him. Yeah, oh, he absolutely hates him. He's, you know, thinks they're disgusting. Boss Man is the worst guy in the world. Ken Shamrock is a sellout. You know, everything's terrible about him. I will say, I expected more from this match. To me, this was the letdown. Other matches I didn't care about, that were short, whatever. There was something to be entertained by. I don't know why I thought this would be better. It was just kind of stilted. Yeah, yeah. All I could think of too, once Steve Blackman came out, because this isn't his cool theme that, you know, we all knew from the 2000s. This is his WrestleMania 2000 Titan Tron theme. So that's all I could think of. And you're right. it The match is just a letdown because it's just, I guess, I look, I can't really blame him because, but we know Ken Shamrock can have good matches. I guess he can't carry someone to a good match. And Steve Blackman's still very much not quite head cheese era Steve Blackman. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you know what? The best thing about the match, there was a sign in the crowd that said UFC Ultimate Farting Championship. (laughs) That's that's it. Uh, that that reminds me. That reminds me of the time. Like I was about to lay into that. Like, oh yeah, that's real. That's real. Real creative. Then I remember that. Like, I think it was like 2002. I made a sign that was like, you know, Melbourne is Jericho or something like that. There you go. To take to take to just like you know what, just stick with the classics. I guess that's why we all do it. Um, yeah. yeah. Boss man. Boss man smacks Blackman on the ankle. Shamrock gets the win. Post match. Boss man beats up Blackman. End of story, really. Steve Blackman deserved it. So unprovoked, he baseball slides the big boss man. That's true. Yeah. And I know he was preempting the bad guy, most likely cheating, but the boss mm. man didn't cheat yet. So <laughs> yeah. you deserved it, Blackman. And again, I'll go on the highlight too. I didn't I forgot how much the big boss man is involved in this era. Oh, he was a big star. Nobody <laughs> was luckier looking back. Nobody jumped from the bottom of the card to the top of the card for no reason. Not like held down young guy like Jericho or the Radicals. Just big boss man doing nothing in WCW. Hey, why don't you come be in the main events and all over our shows? All right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't say that it's a nostalgia because it's a long time since he's been uh, being a a prison guard at Cobb County, Georgia. (laughs) And he's a whole new guy. Like it's, it really is a great rebranding because there are two boss mans that you think of. So Mm. good job. Also not a nightstick in the UK. He has a flick stick. Don't know why. Maybe they don't do, maybe they don't have uh, battens there. Yeah, and he probably couldn't bring his on the plane. Exactly. Anything to declare, Mr. Trailer? <laughs> it's like, no, no, it's very nice that you can do the spinny thing, but why do you have this? 
<laughs> it would be great if he tried passing it off as like a hobo stick and he just yeah. he had his um carry like on a tied hanky? to the yeah. back of it. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. Just yeah. You know. Like a like a hitchhiker that's about to get onto a railroad <laughs> carriage. <laughs> Next up it's the rocks. Uh a rock the rock does a little uh pre-match promo here. The rock He's still figuring it, not figuring it out, but he can still do a fantastic promo, but he doesn't quite capture the audience like the rock that we know later on. But um, he goes through the, this is the paper where he goes through Hogan's catchphrase, Austin's catchphrase, Bret Hart's and Ric Flair's catchphrase. So it's entertaining in itself. Oh, it's very funny. I thought it was great. He's eating an apple at the start of the <laughs> promo. I love a good prop promo where he's like, hold this jabroni. Um, he then calls X-Pac a bony jabroni, which is <laughs> good. And yeah, he does the the infamous wrong catchphrase promo. Also, I reckon this is definitely the first time on pay-per-view. I don't know if it's the first time he ever did it. But when he did the If You Smell, this is the first time he did the tongue roll. Yeah, which would eventually just become the normal way to do it. Yeah. So anyway, history yep. making promo. First Apple Eden. It's very cool to see uh like you know the the genesis of of the rock becoming the people's champ that we all know and love, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Next up, it is Jeff Jarrett taking on Triple H, and we are peak Jeff Jarrett here. This is the the version that we all know and love at least in the WWF for the time being. Triple H also at the peak of his DX popularity, I reckon. JR also reckons that uh, there is some hanky-panky going on between Deborah and Jeff Jarrett, which is a weird footnote to add to this match. Oh, I love that it's JR who brings it up because JR says, I think she's more than a business manager. I think there's hanky-panky. And King just loses control. <laughs> hanky-panky. So good. Um, I do want to say this is a very fun match. It's not long. Yeah. Only about seven minutes. But I can't think of another time these guys wrestled. And I'm glad it existed somewhere. Look, it's not, you know, five-star, six-star match. But this is one of the best just straight-up wrestled matches you're going to see in this era. Um, two masters, kind of underrated guys for whatever reason. Mm. But uh, Triple H, of course, is Triple H. Double J always had great chemistry with the guys in the click, but I couldn't remember yeah. a match with Triple H. This is it. And you know what? For what it is, the length it gets, it's as good as you would think. I really like this. Like we all know, I'm a very biased Jeff Jarrett fan here. But um, one thing that is that you've, you've got to say he always knows how to get heat in his matches. There is never a boring Jeff Jarrett match, whether it's up against Mongo McMichael. Oh, no, it's, it's up against, against Mongo McMichael. <laughs> oh, no. no, but people cared about yeah, that at least. True. It's the minute the minute Jeff Jarrett gets in there, like he knows. So you put a guy that people want to, that's such a hate magnet like Jeff Jarrett up against Triple H, peak DX popular Triple H, the leader of uh, 98 um, Triple H. You got yourself a great match. It's just a simple ingredient. Yeah, between their their characters, how they're basically exact opposites, uh, their valets are exact opposites, everything works. Like, this is really a feud that could have uh, been great in this era. I thought it was good. And in terms of in the ring, everything is smooth. Everything is hit hmm. perfectly. They do some great old school wrestling to start it off. Yeah, there isn't even a lot to say. This is just really, really good. 
And I know both guys would go on to become, you know, hated for their reigns of terror in the early yeah. 2000s. But come <laughs> on, in the ring, yeah, kind of untouchable. Yeah. Really good. This, I'm just going to go on a quick little Jeff Jarrett side note here. This is the reason why no one gives Jeff Jarrett credit. Because the thing is, Jeff Jarrett can have good matches. He just can't have memorable matches. <laughs> like, this is that's That's the problem. Like, there are no bad Jeff Jarrett matches. Well, there there are like the good housekeeping, the good housekeeping match. But even that, the, very memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it's just like he doesn't really have a huge classic match. Uh, I will say this, and if our buddy Neil is listening, he'll say, "Well, no one watches TNA, you idiot." But uh, his feud with Raven in the early days over the NWA World Championship were was actually a bang. But anyway, we 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 won't go into that one. We'll we'll move on to our next little segment, which is Michael Cole versus uh with stone cold steve austin doing another pre-tape stone cold promises to hand out an ass whooping and he even just he's he's just po'd which is great he's found the blueprint this austin works a charm yeah this is like the other type of austin promo where he's not in the crowd so he's not going to do the the you know give me a hell yeah stuff because he doesn't have to but when he's backstage doing this kind of promo there's no catchphrases there's no bullshit it's just a guy talking and yeah. Austin is one of the best ever at just being a guy talking he he didn't always have to use the catchphrases and this is one of them feels real when he does it yeah it's really cool and Michael Cole just like in this era 90 90 uh like late 90s Michael Cole where he's like just that mousy looking dude is <laughs> just always amusing to me um, JR and Kingdon throw to a pre-tape of D'Lo Brown touring London. And uh, what I thought was cool, there's a there's a bit where D'Lo Brown takes a selfie with a disposable camera. I wrote that too. I said, did we see D'Lo take the world's first selfie? He does <laughs> it with a disposable bad. camera. I swear, I can't, can't think of anything earlier than that. <laughs> it's not bad. He's a pioneer as our man D'Lo Brown. <laughs> Did you find it amusing too that he's also very genuinely stoked that he's recognized at Buckingham Palace by someone? Yeah, that hooligan in the soccer shirt or whatever. He's like, you're D'Lo Brown. And he's yeah. loving it. He's like, I am. He's fantastic, yeah. But that leads us to the New Age Outlaws taking on D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry, who are in a weird post-nation lull. <laughs> it's post-nation in... um. Some might call it like it's indifference because they're really not knowing what they're doing. Their their Titan Tron still has the nation branding on it, but yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty interesting because the UK crowd goes wild for the New Age Outlaws, and it's hilarious because they do all the chants and everything in the posh British accent. <laughs> yeah, look, they they love the Outlaws there. Um, I I want to say about their promo. Normally, Road Dog will spice it up for a pay per view. He'll add something different for the promo. He had nothing here. It was literally the most basic one. He's like, did the, oh, you didn't know? And then he just said, hey, make some noise. And then he got in the ring and just did the the WWE attitude, the video game version, where it was just the same thing every time yeah. you played. He yeah, added nothing pretty... to it. And then Billy Gunn said, if you're not down with that, got two words for you. Yeah. Yeah, he might as well have just been standing there, like doing this uh, towards <laughs> the camera, like you know the just the the stance uh, of wrestling. But um, what I thought was amusing too, we also saw highlights of Mark Henry's date with China, and it's it's such a weird little pre-tape because why would China even agree to do this? 
No, no, there was a reason for it. I think it was if she didn't go on the date, Mark Henry was going to sue her for sexual harassment. (laughs) Some (laughs) ludicrous premise. But anyway, that segment is great because it was one of those ones where, oh, you know, China hates Mark Henry, this and that, but they end up bonding at the end of it. It's actually Mm. what starts to turn Mark Henry face for the first time. Yeah. Because they realize, oh, you know, him and China get along. And he's got a bit of personality here. He's, he's, it's not just a, a big lumping dude. No, and it all ends of, terribly, which we'll get to with um, <laughs> China's friend that sleeps with Mark Henry, allegedly, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... Uh, boy, you thought 98 was bad. Wait till we get to 99. <laughs> um, now, JR, which I thought was really amusing. Did you notice that JR is really taken aback by Mark Henry's back? No, I missed that. JR is like, this man's got, he's got the biggest back. I was like, why is he talking about Mark Henry's back so much? But um, uh, I will say this, these two teams, the Outlaws and and D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry seem to gel really well. Yeah, I'm like we've seen it before. Anytime the Nation and DX were in the ring together doing their multi-man matches or different variations of the singles and tags, they've got great chemistry. I thought D'Lo especially is the more, you know, experienced in the ring. D'Lo in there with Road Dog and Billy Gunn was really, really good. And yep. Mark Henry did his thing too. He had a fun exchange with Billy Gunn, you know, testing power and all that. This was a fun match. Honestly, from the last match onwards, it's a good pay-per-view. Very much so. Uh, the other thing I noticed, the famous, uh, the famous uh, doesn't have a name yet. He just does the move and it's just like, oh, wow. And there's another cool little spot where Billy Gunn um, drags a lifeless road dog to the corner and then tags him, which is kind of cool. Um, Billy Gunn gets the win after a pile driver to D'Lo. As you said, you can't fault this match. Um, next up, it is a recap of The Rock's journey to win the title at and the turn at Survivor Series. Good little recap of the story for anyone that hasn't seen it, because I'm guessing, like, you know, it's a UK-only pay-per-view. You want to explain why The Rock's the champ when Austin's the hottest thing in the company. So it does make sense. And now I want to get to the most underrated sleeper match that I've ever seen, ever. X-Pac versus The Rock for the WWF Championship. Stop me if I'm wrong, Simon, but is this not one of the greatest WWF title matches you've ever seen from that era? In an era of garbage Raw matches where there's just interference and everything like that, this is a solid match. This it this racked I was racking my brain because when I rewatched '98 on the network a couple of years ago, I wasn't watching the pay per views, definitely not the UK ones. Yeah, and I was just watching Raw, and and I swear I was like, oh, I remember seeing a match with X Pac and The Rock, and there were a few TV matches that were like pretty good, and I was like, oh, maybe that was it. Maybe I just th- thought it was better. Maybe I remembered it being better. And then mm. I watched this. And it hit me. This was the goddamn match that I've been yeah. trying to remember. Which <laughs> one is it? X Puck and The Rock absolutely kill it here. And you're right, it's a sleeper. It gets enough time. It's two guys kind of in their prime. What shocked me too, JR mentions they're both the same age. Both these guys are 26 wrestling Crazy. for the WWE title, unlike those guys in WCW at the <laughs> time. Two 40 year olds wrestling for the US title in the main event. What's going on there? But X-Pac and The Rock, amazing chemistry. Two of the best, great athletes. Can't say more about this match. Whatever. You knew it wasn't going to be a title change in the UK, so the ending's a bit screwy. But just a great match. 
there are so many bits where you actually do think, surely they're not going to actually oh. put the title on X-Pac. But the other thing too, we always talk, like X-Pac's career gets really retrospectively shat on by a lot of, you know, smarks and stuff like that and the smart fans on the internet. But a lot of people that do crap on this era weren't around to watch it and they didn't realize how popular X-Pac was. Like him and Kane as a tag team in 99, one of the hottest stories you will ever see. Him stealing Tory from Kane in 2000, another one of the great stories. Like X-Pac actually, if you forget the crappy Uncle Cracker X-Factor sort of 2001 run, he was a solid member of the Attitude Era. One of the best in-ring wrestlers on either roster or in the world, really. Like, just consistent. Anytime he's on TV or pay-per-view, you know what you're going to get. You put him somewhere higher and he'll deliver as well. He was great. Like, you can't fault him here so good. And him and The Rock, I love the opening exchange. They do a bunch of arm drags. They even do the crisscross and mm. pull it off and make it look good. We saw Hogan and Warrior try and do it at uh, Halloween Havoc, and they were running in slow motion. X-Puck and The Rock showed them how it's done. And like you said, some near falls here. Even though you kind of knew deep down The Rock's not going to lose in the UK, they did some amazing near falls where X-Puck kicked out of the people's elbow. There mm -hmm. were low blows that they each kicked out of. There was a ref bump. Just the classic type of WWE world title match. Yeah, uh, Triple H and, and China get involved here because The Rock does his trademark rock thing. You're like, I've had enough of this. I'm going to the back. <laughs> so Triple H and China come out. Um, that's actually how the match ends. It ends with a DQ because The Rock shoves China and then Triple H takes out The Rock. The DQ gets the win. Post-match, The Rock gets beaten down, but Shamrock comes out to even the odds. But DX stands tall. Solid match. It's a sleeper. Do yourself a favor and check it out because it's a good one. Yeah, I'm glad we reviewed this pay-per-view so we could watch that match. I probably would have forgot about it again. And yeah. also, shout out to the person with the sign <laughs> that said, Rocky sucks cocky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't have to censor that. That's no true. No swearing on that sign. Well, it's, it is. It's, it's just one of those ones. Uh, between that, the laser pens, and <laughs> I'd rather be in China. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's a weird era for the crowd, isn't it? <laughs> and there was uh, usually sucks spelt S-U-X, so you could yeah. fit on the on the sign, you <laughs> on, know? On the, on the little placard that you've yeah. got. To, um, next up, Tony Chimmel's in the ring. He's introducing Shane McMahon. And the best part of that is the little nameplate that pops up is Shane McMahon, son of Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tells you all you need to know. So Shane comes out. He introduces Pat Patterson. Then he also introduces uh, Pat Patterson, who's timekeeper, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Then he introduces Gerald Briscoe, who's the special guest referee. What was the crowd chanting during Briscoe's entrance? No I idea. Couldn't I up. couldn't pick yeah. up these crowd chants. I wish we could, but yeah, no idea. Because the thing is, you could clearly and audibly hear the crowd but I, for the life of me could not hear what they were saying it's crazy it's weird it's one of those weird things where like you can hear them perfectly but you can't understand them at all mm. um vince mcmahon is introduced and he's out on commentary and then the boss man comes out as a special enforcer and then vinnie jones comes out in his weird black raincoat thingy and jr refers to him as a living legend <laughs> i guess he was I wouldn't know yeah. anything about Vinnie Jones. I know he played soccer and I know he was in Guy Ritchie movies. 
that's basically all you need to know, really. Vinnie Jones then shoves the boss man out of the ring, and, and then Briscoe gives him a red card. Very funny spot. First off, all the credit to boss man for selling for Vinnie Jones like he got shot with a cannon. Because oh, he falls out of the ring and even falls to the ground and like closes his eyes like he's hmm. dead. Uh, and then, yeah, he gets revived and Briscoe red cards Vinnie Jones. A spot that we would see, you know, replicated and you would see it go viral on, you know, Lad Bible and whatever. Different wrestlers around the world would do something like that. But Vinnie Jones and Gerald Briscoe, the originators of the uh, red card in wrestling. Then again, I'm uh, sure someone in World of Sport in the UK probably uh, did it at some point. But more anyway. Than, more than likely. But how have we never the... seen any of this Vinnie Jones stuff on like packages of celebrities? between all the the promo and this little segment we've never seen it they talk about every other celebrity not Vinny yeah they yeah they talk about ben stiller being there unless unless do you think do you really think that like the dummy like vince mcmahon is so insular in his bubble he's just kind of like ah they're not gonna care about that stupid that stupid crumpet (laughs) it's very (laughs) odd i don't know yeah um, now here's the thing. This entire seg, this entire segment, is to lead up to the main event. It's such the Stooges and like, but the thing is, I will I will say this. It is well worth it because the crowd, the corporation is so over as heels here. But um, we then get to mankind making his entrance for the fatal four way. Kane comes out as well, but mankind goes after Kane before the Taker even get before Taker and Austin even get into the match. All I got to say is Vince McMahon's on commentary and he slits, slots into it like a glove. Oh man, Vince McMahon on commentary was my favorite thing about this match. I didn't remember him doing it. What a great little bonus watching this pay-per-view is because you get Vince on commentary again, but as a heel. And it's yep. really fun because he's cheering for The Undertaker like really biasly, but doing it in his Vince McMahon commentary way. It's weird yeah. how Vince McMahon, the commentator, is different to Vince McMahon doing a promo. He just slips back into the old Vince and he's like, he's going to take his soul. And, you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. hilarious. And, little, and, and you're right too with the little biases, like, you know, when mankind goes... Like when uh, Kane goes to pin Stone Cold Steve Austin and it's broken up by Taker or something or Mankind is like, what are you guys doing? That's not <laughs> part of the plan. You know, like all of this sort of rubbish. Um, all I got to say is, um, so Austin's out. The place goes absolutely ballistic. He, um, it's, I love when Austin does that spot where he's, he still got the vest on and fighting mm. and then takes it off. Like it's such a cool little thing too. It's the first ever fatal four way according to Jay, according to JR in the UK. Sorry. First ever fatal four way in the UK according to JR. Uh, it's no DQ or count out. There's a hell of a lot of choking with TV cables uh, as well. Oh, it's a hilarious bit where they all choke each other with a cable. Yeah. So Taker's got mankind in the cable. Then Kane gets man- gets Undertaker with the cable, and then Austin sort of daisy chains that, and they're all like choking each other. It's just crazy. Um, did you notice too that old school when Taker goes for old school, still not got a name yet? No name, just oh my, look at that. And it was fun hearing Vince call that because again, he's cheering for the Undertaker. He's like, what an athlete! He's a man, you know, the phenom. It's so good. Also, and there's Vince a great also, yeah. bit on commentary where. King forces JR to say that he wants Austin to win. 
Like he bullies him in front of in front of Vince. He's like, "Come on, admit it, Jr. You want Austin to win." And then Jr.'s like, "Yeah, fine, I do. I want Austin to win." And he's like, "You're just a kiss ass king." Ooh, yeah. Ooh, and then and, and then goes onto a little rant. Was like, "You want your chapstick king so you can yeah. suck up to McMahon." It's great. And then Vince has to tell him to calm down. It's their dynamic is great between the three of them. And the best part too is I love there's another bit too where where where, where Austin it gets triple teamed by mankind, Kane, and the Undertaker. And Vince McMahon sounds like a kid at Christmas. He's like commentator Vince is like, Yes, yes, this is what I wanted to see. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. It's such a chaotic ending, but the crowd does not, they're not quite adult. No one is sitting on their hands. Everyone's out and about. Uh, it's a very chaotic ending, though. Austin stuns Kane for the cover, but Briscoe doesn't count it because he's checking with Pat Patterson about the time. Yeah. <laughs> so then he knocks out, he knocks out um, Gerald Briscoe. Earl Hebner then comes out to count the pin uh, and counts Austin on Kane. And it's one of the weirdest post matches you will ever see because then Vinnie Jones comes out and you and you see Vinnie Jones taking out the boss man. It's just so chaotic. Yeah, the, the the last few the whole match is chaos. It's not great in parts from a in ring standpoint, but it's entertaining. The last couple of minutes with the referee bumps and Austin winning is very fun, and then the post match is just a house show. But we're seeing it yeah. on TV. Like, yeah, Vinnie yeah. Jones, he kicks Boss Man in the way that Austin would kick someone before a stunner. So he kicks Boss Man and then Austin stuns him. And then Vinnie Jones, Earl Hebner, and Steve Austin drink beers together. It's yeah. weird. But you know Did what? You notice- the crowd goes mental for it. The best thing, way I can think of it is like, it's kind of like that weird bit at the end of Clash the Castle where... um where Tyson Fury and Drew McIntyre are singing Sweet yeah. Caroline together. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's, it's, it's just so bizarre. But yeah, Vinnie Jones takes out the boss man. Earl Hebner then kicks boss man. At, like, you know, that, oh, that yeah, yeah. Where, right. you know that gift where um where you see Earl Hebner? You're right. It's a house show thing yeah. where Earl Hebner takes out DX. Have you seen that little no. gift? <laughs> no. It's a great Look that up. It's fantastic. Um. Because he sort of does like the tro- the crotch chops to <laughs> to road dog. He takes at the outlaws anyway. But yeah, it's basically what you see here. Earl Hebner celebrating as well is one of the weirdest things. But hey, look, he, everyone the goes referees, home happy. Yeah, the referees would do that with Austin a bit, especially Earl Hebner. That would be a thing where if you got like the you know home video exclusive or like post raw exclusive, whatever, you would see Hebner do it. But to see it here on a pay per view for the first time. It is kind of weird, but you know what? The crowd loved it. And it got me thinking, why isn't Earl Hebner in the Hall of Fame? If there's one referee Mm. who should be. He was like his own character. We all knew who he was for like, you know, 20 years. I will mention that he is in the TNA Wrestling Hall of Fame. But, uh, but, uh, and, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's, it's quite, he's also got one of the the most awkward t-shirts um, that you will ever see that was released by shoptna.com, which is just a referee shirt, except on the back it says, yeah, I screwed him. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Without a lot of backstory and context, odd shirt to wear. Because if you were, if let, let, let's just say, like, hypothetically speaking, you have to know Earl Hebner, who he is first off, then you have to know about Survivor Series 97, 
So if you don't, those are two pretty niche things to know. Yeah. Then you have to know about TNA Wrestling has a store to buy that <laughs> shirt. Because if anything, if you were wearing that down the street, most people would just think that you were, you know, a weird footlocker employee. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that footlocker guy, he's screwing everyone. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's proud to admit it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but um, yeah, look, all in all, as a bonus pay-per-view, I think we could sort of, when you put this up against one night only, they're two completely different shows. Like, you got to treat it on its merits, don't you? Yeah, look, if we're talking in-ring product, one night only is kind of untouchable for those final three matches. But then again, these last two matches on this show, the chaotic Fatal 4-Way, a very Attitude Era type match with all mm -hmm. the corporation bells and whistles, and then the great one-on-one -on -one match with X-Puck and The Rock, kind of a, you know, sleeper hit there. You know, I'd even, honestly, I'd even the argue... top of the card is good. The final four matches are pretty damn good. I was about to say, I'd even argue throw in the throw in the Triple H versus uh, Jeff Jarrett match, followed by the yeah. Outlaws versus um, D'Lo and and um, Mark Henry. It's a solid it's a solid card from top to bottom. So let's let's do a little MVP like we always do. It's hard to pick. There are so many. Is it Vinny Jones for being over? Is it Vince <laughs> McMahon for doing a great promo, great commentary, and, you know, just being a presence? Austin for the great match, Rock and X-Puck. Is it JR and King for just oh. actually, like, bringing it? Like, it's so they it's, killed it's it hard to show. pick. Great. It is so hard to pick. And I think we're going to have to go with one of those, just those blanket statements where it's just like, you know, everyone gets a medal. You know? Yeah, no, you know what? You know who we should give it to? Let's give it to X-Pac for having yeah. a classic world title match. And I'm pretty sure he's only world title match on any type of pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, oh, yeah, because he would he would be no... Because, like, let's face it, in WCW, he was never getting past the Cruiserweight uh, rankings. And he, aside from... Because he never even got an Intercontinental title. He was always a European or... Um, tag team specialist so this is yeah. the pinnacle for x-park yeah and he absolutely brought it great match with the rock great first pay-per-view match for the rockers world champ too so yeah maybe we'll, let's give it to x-park solid too and if you've ever read jericho uh, chris jericho's book it sort of shows you too that like x-park is always seen as like the gatekeeper did you remember that story where you work with x-park when you first like you know have to sort of Prove your, prove your chops a little bit. Yeah, you would go through X-Pac. He's kind of the measuring stick. And in the early 90s, he was the measuring stick. Sort of, you would go through X-Pac if you could have a good match with him. Okay, now you can wrestle Scott Hall. If you can you yeah. know, go with Razor, okay, we'll move you up to Sean or Nash. You just had yeah. to like, it was like Mortal Kombat, but the click, you had to, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just like combat spelt with a K, click spelt with a K. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's so, true. Yeah. I do want to say but... one interesting note about this pay-per-view, and I think it, we should discuss it because he's been a big part of this show ever since the start. We saw him debut, you know, or, or early on. Mark Merrow, his career is oh. done. So that's it. We've seen Mark Merrow's whole WWE run. Wow, from the wild man <laughs> to marvelous Mark, it's from the crazy wild thing to marvelosity. It's all over. It is crazy because you put you put both of those guys side by side. 
it's almost easy to say that there are two Mark Mirrors rather than there's two Ultimate Warriors. That's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> or, or imagine going further. If you put Johnny B. Bad and Marvelous Mark oh, Mirror, yeah. it's, it's wild. Um, that That is crazy. So, wow. I yeah. got to say, out of all the people who have been like, you know, their uh, reputation and sort of what the dirt sheet said about them and what the fan perception was, you know, as time would go on. Watching it back, Mark Merrow has to be one of the guys who I think we would both agree better than we remembered. Yep. He's definitely an impact player. He's seen on that upper echelon. He's a upper, upper to solid mid-carder there, but he's very much on the fringe. Like, you know, you could put him in that Savio Vega spot uh, in what's up? What was that pay-per-view? The the in your house where it's the six man where Savio oh, and, Vega. And no way out where they just put Savio in, and it was way, that was another one where it was way better than we remembered. We're like, yeah. oh, that was pretty good, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Out of everyone that we've seen, like the little bit players, your Ahmed Johnsons, your uh, your Flash Funks, your Mongo McMichaels, Stevie Ray's, you know. You can't fault Mark Merrow. So yeah, well done. Well done, wild man slash marvelous one. Yeah. At least least he gets to live in infamy in WWF Attitude. That's his lasting legacy, being in Attitude? Yeah. (laughs) That's good enough. There was like 800 people in that game. That that is true. But uh, look, I've got to say, yeah, he was better than we we remembered, especially as marvellous Mark Merrow, an entertaining heel. Uh, I don't know who's going to take that spot. So from 96 to 98, good for you, Mark Merrow. Yeah, yeah, you did well. You did very, very well. But uh, that pretty much wraps up another edition of Reliving the War. Got one more WWF pay-per-view, rock bottom aptly titled i should point out too uh, but up next we will be going to the granddaddy of them all the wrestlemania of wcw starcade 1998 we might even enlist owen to have a look see too if our schedules can line up but yeah it is going to be an interesting one to put the book on wcw and just see how kevin nash will go up against goldberg if you don't already know Will we ever see a good Starcade on this show? Because we haven't seen one yet. <laughs> I, I don't know how WCW fumbled 96 and 97, but I'm pretty sure they make it a hat trick. So, Yeah, you're not wrong. And, and when we get into, like, Starcade 2000, I think, isn't even that good as well. I can't remember Starcade 2000. I wouldn't expect it to be. Yeah, what on earth is the main event of Starcade 99 or 2000? I'm excited to find out. Hmm. Oh, wait, no. Starcade 99 is the heart attack one where oh, Bret no. Hart's career gets ended by Goldberg. <laughs> is it? Oh, no. That's not the main event, is it? No, no, the main event is... Um... Actually, no, what is the main event? No, I, you, it could be. Event... Isn't it Benoit versus Sid Vicious and Benoit wins the championship? <laughs> oh, who the hell knows? No, that's sold it out. Is. No, it's sold out. It's, uh, yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. But anyway, um, make sure you follow Grey Wolf ENT on all the socials. On behalf of Simon, I've been Nimzazor, and this has been Reliving the Wall. We'll catch you next time. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.